Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to a special message from Greg Musselman. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. It's wonderful to be here. Wow, what a powerful time of worship. God is good. I, I, have this, I was, I was going to share this funny thing here, but I'm going to do it for next time I'm speaking. I just in light of what's going on in our province right now, um, we have about 2,500 people, I understand, that have been evacuated. Uh, there are believers that I know in churches I've spoken in that are not meeting this morning uh, because they've been evacuated from their communities, places like Edson, Drayton Valley, uh, some of the indigenous communities to the north. So let's pray for that. Father, we just want to thank you that we can come into your presence. We know many of our fellow Albertans are suffering right now. There's a lot of stress being evacuated from their homes and just going with clothes on their back and hopefully a few possessions, not knowing if they'll get back. So, Lord, we just pray that your peace that passes understanding would be upon all of them. Lord, and as the church, we would rise up at this time. Show us, Lord, what we can do. Uh, we know of communities, uh, our friend Steve Holmstrom, and is that whole altar has been burned down. And they're expecting powerful meetings this summer. And uh, we just pray for him and his wife and his family and all those that have lost possessions. And, Lord, we know the reality is that the possessions, things come and go. But these mean a lot to these folks. And so we just lift them up to you, Lord. And uh, we pray for our government in Alberta and Canada that uh, the resources that are needed uh, would come. Also pray for those brave firefighters and paramedics and all those that are working Lord, would you protect them? As far as we know, there's not been any casualties, and we just pray that would continue on. So we thank you, Lord, and let us be the hands and feet of Jesus at this hour. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, so I don't really feel like I'm a guest speaker, um, because I know a lot of you guys, and I was at a missions conference. Actually, Missions Fest is still happening at the Church of South Edmonton. And uh, we were at a panel discussion and, uh, with some of my friends, uh, Shawaib, he is from Afghanistan, he's a Muslim background guy, and my friend Russell Stendell from Columbia Prairie Cristo, we had another speaker as well. And uh, we started talking about, you know, what the cross means and denying ourselves, and, and it was really a very powerful time. And then we began talking about what's happening in Canada with the church and our nation and the darkness that's happening in our country. But yet in the middle of all the darkness, there's incredible light. And so I was sharing about Kingdom Church and these young, enthusiastic people. And then some of us older ones are going, hey, something's going on here. And so uh, it's been just wonderful. And you know, we need each other. Uh, you know, Sydney, Chase, you guys need us older ones. We have a little more experience, a few more scars, you know, along the way. Uh, and we have, you know, the, hopefully the maturity and all that, but we also need the fire and the passion. And they say that, and as I'm watching some of these awakenings, revivals, whatever you want to call it, it often starts with the young. And we were the young back in the late 80s. And we were a bit misunderstood when we got all fired up about Jesus and wanting to see the kingdom of God break in with fire and power and healing and people coming to know Jesus and being filled with the Spirit. And so we don't want to make the same mistake. And then there were some wonderful people ahead of us, but there was a misunderstanding. And that, you know, if you go through church history, that's something that we realize. So I want to make a few uh, quick announcements. Um, 
You can go to the first one. So I have a podcast, and, uh, and I work with the Voice of the Martyrs and also work with Huntley Street. But Voice of the Martyrs, all right. Thank you very much. Um, but uh, with Voice of the Martyrs, if you're not familiar, we work with persecuted Christians around the world. Uh, I've had the privilege over the last 20 plus years, been in about 50 nations. Um, dozens of those nations are persecuted Christians. I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of persecuted believers. Um, horrendous stories, but yet in the middle of all the, the chaos and all the death and destruction, God is working. So I'm able to do a podcast, you know, through COVID, learned a few things about t technology, and I'm able to connect with believers all over. So you can go to the next one. Uh, we have a QR code. If you, you can take a little picture with your phone, and I expect that the phone will probably be making the alert noises. It was interesting yesterday. I'd never been in meetings where phones were going off constantly. You just, you know, and, and I asked people, you, I can't tell you to turn your phone off in case you're being affected by this area. But you could take a photo of this. And the latest uh, podcast I did was on Pakistan. And Pakistan has the blasphemy laws. And believers are often falsely accused, imprisoned for many years, haven't done anything wrong. Uh, sometimes they're killed by mobs, just even the accusation. So what's behind the blasphemy laws? The thing that really affects me uh, deeply is the kidnapping of the girls. Uh, it, it rests my heart apart. There's about a thousand girls every year in Pakistan, many of them Christians uh, from minority religions. It's an Islamic country, and they are kidnapped. And uh, so we tell the stories, um, show the photos. Uh, you know, a little 12-year-old girl that was kidnapped from her village, and I don't want to get into all the details, but she was abused and tied up. And you could actually even see on the video uh, the bruise marks. And they're horrible stories. I have daughters, my, and th all three of my daughters are here today with my wife. And I always make it personal because the Bible says that if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. We're linked together with believers all over the world. We're the body of Christ. There is only one body. It's the body of Christ. We only have one Savior, and his name is Jesus. So if you're interested in that, and you can, we, you know, we talk about you know, some of the, you know, the theology and why are Christians persecuted. I mean, it goes right from Genesis to Revelation. In fact, I've been talking to Harrison about actually teaching a course that I teach in, uh, in these closed nations uh, to believers in Pakistan and North Korean believers, Chinese believers, and uh, we're looking at maybe an opportunity to teach it here at Kingdom Church, and we'll give you some more information uh, in the future. Next one. So I've written a book. It's called Closer to the Fire. I don't know if that's appropriate for today. Um, Lessons from the Persecuted Church. And wrote this after traveling for a number of years. And Arlene, my wife, encouraged me uh, to write a book uh, about some of the travels and some of the things that I learned. And forgiveness. And we talked even in our prayer time today about you know, not holding on to the sin and, and being in the light and, and the darkness being pushed away. And many of the people that I talked to, the stories of forgiveness in the most extreme situations where family murder members have been killed. And uh, so that's my book. That's the Urdu version. I have the English version. And so that was translated into the Pakistani language. And so they printed off thousands of these and handed them out. Are you going to take a picture of me? Yeah, you can go ahead. <laughs> I just want to make sure it's on my, like, a, you know, good smile or something. Um, so they, and anyway, one of the books ended up in northern Pakistan. And it was a Christian couple, they were school teachers, and they were the only Christians in their community. And there was a lot of pressure for them to convert to Islam. And they finally told the regional pastor, look, we can't do it anymore, we're going to convert to Islam. 
And he was crying as he was saying this. You know, I'm going to deny Jesus. I can't do it anymore. So Pastor Morris happened to have an Urdu version of the book. The guy read the book and said, if they can do it, I can do it. And man, and I was told by my friend Ayub in Pakistan, and I phoned Arlene, and I was crying. I said, man, you know, all the work that goes into putting a book together, if it's just for that one person, then it's absolutely worth it. Go to the next one. Okay, I want to talk about finishing well. This uh, is probably one of my go-to sermons uh, when I'm not actually doing a message on the persecuted church, but as you'll tell, everything comes out that way. So let's just stand for a moment because we might be here for an hour. I was just saying that this might be the very first time that the first and second service become one service. And by the end, we have a revival meeting. Hallelujah. Now that could happen. Now, Harrison, you're watching. Just relax. You're there to get the blood pressure down, brother. So I can see him smiling right now. Kind of. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And you got to remember, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter from prison. And he knew he was going to die. So I was recently in uh, the island of Malta. So that's where Paul shipwrecked, if you know the story. So he's on his way uh, to Rome, where he, was, he knew he was going to get there. And, you know, all hell could come against the Apostle Paul. The guy was beaten, he was rejected, he went through all difficulty, but he knew he was going to go to Rome. He's, he, you know, he can't kill me until my Time on earth is done. And that's what I pray. I don't want to stay one second longer than I'm supposed to. And, and I just want to get out of here when it's time. And I, you know, I want to stick around or go early, but I want to go in God's timing. So if you were writing a letter to somebody you love, so put your family in there. You're in a prison. And I'm saying I'm in a prison, and we've been close, and I'll tell you some stories about that. But if I had one letter I was going to write to Arlene, my daughters, my son, daughter-in-law, my grandchildren what would I say? It'd be the most important thing. Because Paul knew. He knew that his life on earth was ending. And here's what he said. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And that includes everybody that knows Jesus. I've known too many leaders and people, whether I've known them or, or know of them, that have not finished well. I don't want to mess up my life. None of us are perfect, but we can live a godly and holy life. We'll talk more about that. Okay, you can sit down. Next one. I'm often asked, you know, some of your favorite stories. Who are the most impacting people? Well, I've got a list of about 200. It's, it would be impossible for me to boil it down. But I was getting ready. There's a couple ones that I wanted to share that, that tie into finishing well. So a number of years ago, I was in Beijing, China, and uh, we were interviewing persecuted believers. And now, you know, China, it's communist country. And they brutally persecute the church. The interesting thing about China is they have about 120 million Christians and when the communist revolution, Chinese revolution took place, there was about a million Christians. And you think, well, how in the world over these decades did the church go from that to where it is now under persecution? So under the communist revolution, what happened was the leaders, Mao Zedong and these guys, I'm gonna, there's going to be no, if you take notes, because there's going to be an exam, and you can't leave here until you pass the exam. So I want you to be paying attention. Take notes. No. 
So anyway, they, they brutally persecute the church. But they, had an, they, were, they were smart in the sense, they said, you know what? We cannot stamp out the church. But we will control the church. And I can give you all sorts of history, and I think even Canada right now, many leaders, and this is not, I'm not an indictment on them, but there's a lot of compromise going on. And when you look back even in Nazi Germany and the German church, and I have friends that are Lutheran pastors and tell me these things, and I'm reading a book right now from Eric Metaxas. It's a letter to the American church. And comparing people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you don't know him, you should. He's one of the amazing guys. And, and the, he had to wrestle with whether they should assassinate Hitler. And then he ended up dying just as the war was ending. But you see in China where they, they said, okay, we can't stamp out the church, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to control it. And we're not going to let them preach what they want to preach. You can't preach the book of Revelation. You can't preach the book of Daniel because it talks about another kingdom, the kingdom of God. And that's what they, in any of these countries where you have these dictators and there's all this persecution, it's because they, they want their own kingdom. They don't want God's kingdom. And they're in conflict with the kingdom of God. So they create the three self-patriotic church which is controlled by the government. Now, there are believers in those churches, absolutely. But even the government now, they're taking the crosses down off those government churches, putting up the Chinese flag. You have to sing the Chinese national anthem before the services. They, they monitor what's being preached. It's very difficult. And when these things happen, whether it was Germany or Romania with Richard Wormbrand, some of you may know him. He started the Voice of the Martyrs in prison for 14 years. There's always some who refuse to compromise. I'd like to think I'm one of those guys. Even with a gun at my head, I will not deny Jesus. Now, I have one little advantage when I'm in Pakistan and many Arab nations, is that when you say Muslim, Musulman. So, Christian or Muslim, Musulman. Am I denying Jesus? I might be on a technicality there. But we need to stand strong. And so Pastor Alan Yuan and his wife Lily, we met them in Beijing. So we'd been there. We're doing all these interviews. It's very covert. We'd go into these uh, hotel rooms. We'd wait there. We'd drink some tea, some you know, cookies or something, knock on the door. They'd come in. We'd do the interview. They'd tell us all the things that they're going through, the arrests, the imprisonments, and the torture, and all that. So we did that over a course of a week. Then we interviewed these two guys, Pastor Bike, I'll always remember him. This guy traveled all over China on his bike, leading people to Jesus. Another guy named Lu Fen Gang, and he was also an evangelist in China. These guys went all over and bringing people to the Lord. That's, a, that's the thing about it, it's so cool. You try to stop the church, and if the church is strong, it will grow. If it's weak, it'll get wiped out, and I give you many examples of that. So anyway, I met these guys. We do the video interview. I was doing the recording. It was with a friend of mine, Gary Lane, who works with Christian Broadcasting Network out of the U.S., 700 Club. You may know that. And then we go to Alan Yuan's home and his wife, Lily. And they're amazing people. So his name is Sheng Chen Young and, uh, and Wei Chin. And she's known as Lily. So we go to their house, and I see on the wall a picture. You can go to the next one. Who's that guy in the middle? Billy Graham. And so I'm going, wow, this guy's like famous. Because I knew when Billy Graham went to China that he connected with some house churches. So he went there and he met Alan Yuan. So there was a little write-up that he had. He gave me Pastor Alan. And I was reading and I'm going, man, look, this guy is amazing. 1958, uh, he was arrested. 
And the reason he was arrested, and some of you know Watchman Nee. You know that name? He was, a, yeah, the older ones would. He was uh, in prison for his faith in China. He wrote all these letters, and he, then he died in prison. The letters got published, and they have been an inspiration to believers for many, many decades now. So they were contemporaries. And so Alan Yuan and his wife Lily refused to go along with the government. So they had house churches. He was arrested and spent 22 years in prison for his faith in Jesus. He had six children. He said how difficult it was for his wife, but he was uh, referred to by Open Doors, another ministry of the persecuted church, described Pastor Allen as a towering figure in Chinese house church movement. The Voice of the Martyrs quoted Pastor Allen Yuan as saying, during those years in prison, my wife suffered untold hardship bringing up six children. In the labor camps, it was cold, food was bad, and the work was hard. But in all those years, I never got sick. I wore glasses, I came back alive, many did not. I had no Bible for those 21, 22 years, and no other Protestant Christians there. I only met four Catholic priests. But yet, when he came out of prison, he was on fire for Jesus. And the reason they let him out of prison is because he was 65. Now, I just turned 65. I know it might be hard for some to believe that. In 40 years of marriage, coming up in two weeks... I used to joke and say, yeah, I've been happily married for 30 years. Yeah, anyway. Uh, but we've been happily married for a good period of that time, right? Yeah. <laughs> Marriage is it's good. Praise the Lord. Arlene gets a special reward when she gets to heaven for sure. So anyway, he's released at 65. The government of China had a policy at that time to let these political prisoners out. You know, they're not going to do any more damage. Well, this guy went around all of China, and he baptized like thousands of people brought all these people to Jesus. So when Billy Graham goes to China, he goes to his underground house church because there's like hundreds of people there. So I tell you, anybody over 65, Mark, Greg, some others, lay it down. Lay your age down. God is using I'm preaching to myself right now, brother, because there's a lie that when you get to a certain age, you can't do anything. It's only for the young. It's for all till the day we die, till the day we meet Jesus. Yeah. Wow, now I feel like a young man again. <laughs> but he goes out. And so we, we meet him at his apartment in Beijing. Now, during this whole trip, and I had my camera at that time, had the, uh, the tapes. And so we had record the interviews with these believers. They'd go back to the hotel, open up the safe, and put them in the safe. Good idea, right? You know, we don't want to get anybody in trouble. So we'd interviewed Pastor Bike and uh, this uh, other brother, and, and we go back to the, uh, we're going to go back to the hotel, but we realized we couldn't get back as where we were, so we went directly to where Pastor Allen and Lily were. We go into their small apartment in Beijing, and I'm like overwhelmed by like this guy's story. And so during the, I was getting, I got my video camera out, going to do an interview with this amazing guy. And so instead of asking for an autograph, that might be a little cheesy. Hey, can I have your autograph? Um, I said, can I get your favorite Bible verse? Well, Pastor Allen at that point, in his early 90s, uh, was, had, you know, some physical difficulties. So his wife, Lily, of over 60 years, she signs my Bible. Just as I'm getting the camera ready to go, she's over here signing my Bible. All of a sudden, there's bang on the door. And all of a sudden, there's like six... Uh, religious police officers in this tiny apartment. 
and I know I'm in trouble. Now, Arlene can tell you I don't do well when I'm instantly under, you know, pressure. Uh, just, you know, I wish I could. It would be more calm. Once I think it through, then I can settle myself down. First thing I thought about, I got to get that tape out of the camera. So I hit the little, you know, the button to eject it, and it, it pops up. By then, one of the guy's security guards, now I know, like in my brain, these guys are all like six foot five. But I was in China. And I'm just thinking, like, but I was like, Tara, what am I going to do? These guys that we've just interviewed, they're going to get arrested because of, you know, us. We didn't do our due diligence, get that tape in the safe. So he grabs the tape. Now, with my mod the camera I have now, I have, like, those cards. I could have just swallowed it or something like that. But anyway, they end up taking us into this room, and then for the next two hours, they interrogated us. And I'm thinking, man, we're in trouble. My friend Gary, who's an American, he's going, China, U.S., we like each other. I know things are a little tense now, but... And I'm just thinking, man, we're like, we're in trouble here. And they've got this tape of these believers. And I said, that's the last thing we want to get these believers in more trouble. So anyway, we, they interrogate us. And it wasn't like they were pulling our fingernails out or hanging us upside down or beating us or anything. You know, Canadian, American, they're not going to do that. But they did want to know why we're there. So this, so this guy comes in, like they're all in their police uniforms. This other guy comes in, he's smoking a cigarette, you know, wearing a, a suit. It's like this B movie or something looking at us, and, and I'm thinking, man, we're in trouble. And they, so, so we just said, yeah, we're here to interview this very famous pastor. Oh, we don't know him. And then later on, it's, he's very famous. You have to have permission. Could we get permission? Oh, yeah. No, you can't. So anyway, we eventually get out of there. The worst part of it is our translator, uh, Raymond, had all the names of the underground church believers that, that were working in their neighborhood. And a friend of mine named Bob Fu is with China Aid. He's in Texas. He was persecuted, left China. Amazing guy. And he was the one that organized this trip. And uh, so we were just saying, oh, man, he's going to be mad at us. You know, we got these guys in trouble and all this information. And so we, the next day we went to the U.S. Embassy. Uh, we had our tapes with us. We asked the U.S. Embassy if they could get these tapes back to America safely. And they have what's called a pouch system. But we're sitting in the office, and the guy said, hey, I can't help you guys. You know, there's no way. I'm not going to cause some kind of incident. Meanwhile, I was writing on a piece of paper, no problem. I'll take your tapes. He says, the room is, these rooms are all bugged. And there is a, a room in the middle of the U.S. Embassy where there's no uh, electronics can get in there. But it was very, very interesting you know, during that time to see and meet those people. Now, when we did get back to Canada, we found out that the Chinese government had arrested the guys that we had interviewed. And I was still living in Winnipeg, and I think I told Arlene, I said, that's it, I'm not doing this anymore, I don't want to put anybody at risk. So I phoned Bob Fu, he says, oh, don't worry about it, these guys have been arrested like dozens of times. So it's just one more, and they're out now, so don't worry about it. So, you might be wondering, okay, I, what was the favorite Bible verse? Well, I traveled, uh, you know, a lot, and so I'm in a Bible college seminary in Manitoba near Winnipeg, and there was a Chinese student there. So go to the next one. And so all I knew was 4, 6, and 7, but I didn't know what it said. So I asked this Chinese believer, now, consider the context at that moment. Greg is panicking. He's not relaxed, like, hey, guys, how you doing? I love your cunt. No, it was, uh, I'm trying to get this tape out. But here's what this Bible verse said. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
I wish I had have known that at the time. And I wouldn't have panicked. Oh, yeah, the peace that passes understanding. Hey, guys, you know, it wasn't like that at all. But I was amazed, though, with Pastor Allen and Lily's testimony. About a year later, he went to be with the Lord. Shortly after that, uh, Lily went to be with the Lord. But they're an example to me and to all of us that no matter what we go through, over 20 years of imprisonment, being worked to the bone, away from your family, that's what would be the worst part. Knowing, if I was in prison, knowing that Arlene's raising my kids, it would be hard. And I hear so many of those stories all the time. I've got friends right now that I met in Eritrea, and someday I'm going to meet, you're going to meet a very special lady that we introduced at the Bible College. And her dad has been in prison in Eritrea, their family's now in Edmonton, for 19 years. His crime, being an evangelical pastor of a church that was 10,000 people in the capital city of Asmara. Eritrea used to be a part of Ethiopia. The Bible says, remember those in prison as if you were in prison with them. I, I keep praying like, Lord, how I can pray for them. And, and there's times when I, just, I sense that or suffer with those who are suffering. Because we're all one body. When one part of our body is sick, it makes the whole body sick. And we need to be concerned. And that's why I encourage people to, you know, to sign up for the newsletter. Not only read the stories about, and I brought some, but, but read the stories about the persecution, but also the incredible victories. Like I said, I was in Malta recent. And I met, there were hundreds and hundreds of Christian leaders from North Africa and the Middle East. The Middle East, of course, all the things that are going on there, but yet God is still working. You've got 2,000 years of history. You look at North Africa, you know, countries like Libya and Algeria, Mauritania, uh, Morocco, Libya, all these countries that were Christian in the early centuries. Guys like, uh, you know, St. Augustine and Tertullian, the church fathers, they came from there. There was a strong church in that part of the world, but because of division and not having a Bible, and then Islam came in, and the whole area's been Islamized. And I interviewed about a dozen leaders or so from North Africa. And as I was talking to them, most of them had Muslim backgrounds. I mean, it's, people don't understand what is going on in the Muslim world. I have met so many Muslims and interviewed them that have had dreams and visions of the man in white. And then God will use a believer to connect them, and they become passionate. I mean, so many of my friends, and Arlene can tell you, so many of my friends, including a brother yesterday from the conference who's from Afghanistan, lives in Winnipeg, does a television ministry, and we're looking at ways to partner together. And seeing how God is working in the Muslim world. And, and I always say this, and I want to make it clear. I love Muslims. You can't be a follower of Christ and hate anybody. Anybody. Leaders you disagree with. Neighbors you may not like, family, whatever. You cannot, there's no room for that. And man, I tell you, when they come to Jesus Christ, they get on fire. And I was with a guy yesterday where I had at this church I was, you know, involved in, and I was doing a, a panel. Guy come up in El Salvador, and sometimes when you're an MC and you give somebody the mic, you never know what's going to happen. Man, this guy, he started preaching with passion. And it's like, oh, this was like amazing. I'm thanking God for the people he is sending to this nation. In fact, because of all that's going on, we need help from all over the world. Canada is a healing to the nations. I used to wonder, how would that happen? Well, every time I'm in Toronto and I see all the nations in that city, that city is, I understand, the most multicultural city in the world. 
God is working, and there are sparks of revival happening all over our nation, and I'm excited, and the sparks are happening here. Like, that worship was amazing, guys, and keep it up. So you have China, and, and there's a Purdue University. You can go to the next one. And so Purdue University says by the next 10 or so years, there are going to be about 200 million Christians in China. President Xi is trying to clamp down on the church, and he's, you know, all these believers are being arrested, and it's just difficult. And sometimes if the persecution gets so intense, people get scared. And I understand that. There are people that are fleeing countries. I get it. They're coming to Canada. They're going to Australia, the UK. I understand it. If I was living in Afghanistan and my girls had no opportunity for education and they were just to be shunned in society, I'd want to get out of there too. But I can tell you there are believers that are staying in countries like Afghanistan, even though it has a very small Christian population, but there were many came to the Lord when the Taliban was pushed out. Now that they're back in power, they're causing all, all sorts of havoc. But God is working. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And you know what? Often I think the, the concept is we're just hanging on. Hang on till Jesus comes. But gates don't move. We are storming literally the gates of hell. When we go into the inner city on Monday nights to hand out hot chocolate and mocha with our good friend Megan and those others that join us, we are going and bringing light into darkness. And I say, well, you know, we're just handing out hot chocolate and it's cold. And, but we engage with people. We pray with them. And we tell them no matter how much they're broken, that they're loved. And that is our mission, to continue on. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm a reporter type, and I like to try to figure things out. So why does China, why are they going to have 200 million Christians? Then you go to a country like Iraq. So this photo is taken uh, in Baghdad, Iraq. I was actually videoing kids playing soccer amongst all these rocks. And so if you think about um, a country like Iraq, which has 200 or 2,000 years of Christian history, but going back to 2005 or 2003 and even in that range, there were about... A million point three Christians. So there's, you know, a significant 30 million country. And the, all this history, you know, Babylon, you heard of Babylon? Well, that Babylon is part of modern-day Iraq. Have you heard of Nineveh? Who was from Nineveh? Jonah, yes. So you got all this history even before the church age. And so there's a place called Mosul. Have you heard of Mosul, Iraq? I think, you know, during the war years, Mosul was a well-talked-about place. This group called ISIS went in there. And, you know, you had, again, 2,000 years of church history. They go in, and they rip down the crosses, and they put up that black uh, ISIS flag. And I met the pastor of that church, a Christian Missionary Alliance pastor. And I remember interviewing him in Erbil, which is uh, Kurdistan. And I said, how do you feel, you know, with all this going on? The guy just broke down and cried. Now, the good thing was that all the believers from that particular church escaped. Many did not. Now, ISIS has been driven out, but many of the people that were there, they've left the country, or they've gone into places like Erbil, Kurdistan, which, a which is a little bit safer. So we go in into, you know, and we're meeting these believers uh, in Erbil, and so one of the families that we met uh, was a lady named Hannah. So you can go to the next one. So this is Ham Hannah and Salman Daoud. 
And so they were married for 22 years, and they had three children, and they'd been together for nine years. And uh, she said that he was the best husband ever. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you're the best. Okay, I'll, you know, think, okay, I, was, I thought I was pretty good. But no, she said, like, he was an amazing guy. And so back in 2009... Solomon, who was Orthodox, and in that part of the world, you got the Orthodox, Catholic, uh, Chaldean, and um, Assyrian churches. So they're very institutional. And, and I think that's a part of, if we don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, and this persecution comes, that can cause real difficulty. And people will flee, and I, and I understand it. Uh, the good thing is it happens through that, though, is many of these folks that may have been nominal Christians... They're trying to find out, okay, there's got to be more. And many of them come into relationship with Jesus. And I met Syrian Christians in Lebanon and other places where this has happened. So this brother here in 2009, he's, you know, he's a nice guy and everybody liked him. But he goes to this house church, Christian Missionary Alliance. I love the Alliance. They've done wonderful work around the world. He goes in there and the Holy Spirit hits him. And he comes home and his wife Hannah says, it's like a bomb exploded in the guy. He became so passionate for Jesus. He would go to the mosque, which you might understand is a little bit of a dangerous thing in a Muslim country, and he would share the gospel. And in the months before he was kidnapped, he had led seven Muslims to the Lord. And the Muslims would say to him, you're such a nice guy, but you're a Christian. You're an infidel. You need to become Muslim. And then he would tell them about Jesus. He brings one of these guys home, and, you know, his wife and kids are there, his three kids. And he gets a basin, and he kneels down, and he washes the feet of this Muslim. This guy couldn't handle it. Like, why are you so kind? He says, it's because I have Jesus in me. And he was becoming well-known in the area because you know what he was doing? He was reading the Bible. And guess what he's reading about in the Bible? That God heals you know, we prayed for a guy at the conference yesterday, and he's got cancer. And we're, we're believing. We're laying our hands on him. We're believing. And some, we don't always see the results we want, but we believe that the kingdom of God is here, and we have access to healing. Now, I'm not one of these, I, I guess I'm kind of charismatic. or what, I don't know what I am. I'm just following Jesus. I'm just trying to believe the Bible, and I'm limping along like the rest of us. I'm a broken guy, and like all of us. You know, maybe some of you are a little more not broken than me. But we're just trying to do the best we can. I want to see people get to heaven. I want to see my family, all my family members in heaven. I want to see my neighbors, my Muslim neighbor. You know, I want them to, to come to know Jesus. That's what we're here for. That's the most important thing. It's not about careers. It's not about all these things. It's about the kingdom of God and bring glory to Jesus Christ. And when you have that mindset, all of a sudden the pressure has gone. Like, I'm not up here to perform. Now, I will be critical of myself. I should have said this. <clears throat> you know, whatever. Poor wife, you know. Um, you know, just disappear for a couple hours, Greg, and work that out and come back home. But you get people like Solomon Daoud who, who are an inspiration. So we had met Hannah about a year after he was kidnapped. And she told a story about one day, and he was a professional photographer. And so one day he goes out. And, and like he had breakfast in the morning and then he'd go out and then she'd see him at lunch hour. But that day, he came home and he said, we need to pray. Go to the next one. So that's Nineveh. That's the Nineveh Plains. That's Mosul, Iraq. And he had a passion to pray. And so he comes home and they're praying for the peace 
of Iraq because there was all turmoil and war. And can you imagine living in that kind of environment, not knowing what's going to happen? Your village could get attacked. You could be killed. But yet that peace that passes understanding is with him the whole time. And so in 2012, that was the day he went out. He was, he was going to do a shoot, a photo shoot, like my daughter Sarah does. He never came back. It was noon. Didn't come back. Okay, that's kind of odd, she said, but okay, maybe something happened. Now it's dinner time. Now she's panicking. Where is he? He's a reliable guy. Calling friends and family, people at church. Where's Solomon? Where's Solomon? For the next three days, they were looking and looking. Finally, the phone rings one day. And they say they found Solomon. And she is ecstatic. They found my husband. Let's prepare a meal. And so the men said, okay, you stay here. We'll go to the police station. Then the next phone call was, he's been shot nine times. He's gone. He's now with the Lord. She said, you know, she had to be medicated. She said she was in absolute uh, you know, delirium, and she, she said, I can't handle it. She, he's dead. He's, he, my, you know, our children know all of our father. I don't have this wonderful man, and he's gone. And she, she was just, she was devastated. And one of the things that uh, he had said before that had happened, uh, quoting from John chapter 12, verse 23, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It was like Solomon knew that his time on earth was winding down. I've met many stories of martyrs. There was a sense that something was going to happen. And then their death results in a harvest. That's just the way of the kingdom of God. And, and that's why we need to kind of understand the suffering for righteousness. God didn't save us so that we could have a bunch of stuff. He saved us so we could be vessels for Jesus and to share the love. And so his family believes that he was killed by Al-Qaeda, a Muslim extremist group, because of his ministry. And as you can imagine, Hannah and the children were devastated. I met uh, their children. Their daughter, Sarah, is now married, and I got to see them again. Um, and, you know, after this had happened, they just, they were, were devastated. And yet, even at the funeral, people were coming to know the Lord. Muslims came because they respected him so much. One of the things that she said, she would not allow hatred to get into her heart. Either we believe the teachings of Jesus that we are to forgive and love and bless our enemies. That is absolutely insanity without a relationship with Jesus. I can't do that in my own strength. I've tried. It doesn't work. But with God's help, we can do the things that are impossible. So not long after Solomon was killed, Hannah found her husband's diary. And one of the entries seemed to indicate that he knew his time on earth was, was over. Go to the next one. Lord, see if I can get through this without crying. Lord, I feel the day to meet each other face to face is coming near. Lord, I'm just a tourist in the world, and every day that passes makes eternity closer. I can't wait to see you, Lord, to look at your face. I can't wait for that great and blessed day to come. And then shortly after, this dear brother went to see his Jesus face to face. And I know that when, I'm, when I hear the stories of somebody being killed for their faith and the horrible things that went on, the moment they died was the moment they were in the presence of the king. We, we all want to go. See, today, you know, we're in worship. We're getting just a little glimpse of that. It's like looking through this glass darkly. But there's going to be a day when that curtain will rise and we're going to see him 
the King of Kings, and it's going to make it. Now I can go Pentecostal on you now, but it's amazing what God is doing. So I met Hannah a couple of times. The second time, I showed her the video and told her, I said, this video, I've shown this video all over the place, on television, through the internet, and I said, churches and people have been inspired by your story. So this is the reaction that Hannah had, and I'm just taking apart from the second interview I did, and we had to hide their faces in the first interview, change their names, but this was her reaction when she saw the video that we did on her. So if you could roll Hannah it. had not yet seen the report that we did on her and her husband, Salman, that not only aired across Canada, Hannah had not yet seen the report that we did on her and her husband, Salman, that not only aired across Canada, but around the world. Rebecca and Ali had been married for over two decades and were raising their three children in Mosul, a large city in the northwest. Hannah got emotional watching the video, but is grateful that the Lord has used it to strengthen Christians in their faith and used it to bring others to Jesus. My husband was a good believer, and he evangelized people to believe in Jesus Christ. What he said before he died was that if he died, there would be a reason for it, and that others would come to know Jesus, and this is what happened through many TV stations. Hannah had not yet seen the... So you see how God could even use something so awful for her personally for the sake of the kingdom. And am I willing to put my life out there that I would say, okay, Lord, if, my, if, if it would be better for me to die, for the kingdom to go forward, would I be willing to make that prayer? Would we be able to make that? I mean, that's a pretty huge challenge. So in order to finish well, there's some things that we need to do. Um, and I mean, I, these are not things that you would not know, but we need to continue to pray. Talking to God, a relationship with God. A lot of people are intimidated by prayer. Just talk to him. Jesus is your friend. Yes, he's the holy God of the universe, but he's also your friend. Read the Bible. Uh, one of the things that, and I've been a Christian more than 40 years now, and one of the things I just absolutely love is reading the scripture. We, Arlene and I got a one-year Bible, so we're sharing the story. It's interesting, the story this morning was about Hannah, and then Samuel. It was really cool. And not just reading it, but meditating on it. Let it get into you, not just for knowledge. I mean, I love reading the scriptures, and I love the knowledge, I love the history. I found myself always digging in, oh, what does that mean, or whatever. But to read it, allow the teachings to get in you. And then to have a clean heart. My friend Russell Stendell from Columbia, Pera Cristo, he's with us this weekend at uh, the Missions Fest, and he talks about it all the time. Keep our hearts clean. We cannot have hatred. We cannot have unforgiveness. We have to have the love of Jesus. Even as we're dealing with people that we see as opposite of our views, whether it's politically or morally. We need to love them. They think they're right. It doesn't line up with scripture. Okay, but we need to love them and show them another way. So keep our hearts clean. Live a holy life and have childlike faith. There's no room for arrogance in the kingdom of God, and that will help us to finish well. There's a scripture I just love. It's from uh, Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles us and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Years ago here in St. Albert, my son Matt was in a track meet. And uh, in the previous track meet he had been in, Arlene told him, just take it easy, don't run too fast. Just, you know, pace yourself while he finished last. And so he was not mad at mom. 
I just said, Matt, go out and run as fast as you can. So it's like four times around the school at uh, Fowler School. And so he just blasts off, man. And I'm like a competitive guy, love sports. So first two, like he's lapping guys by the time he gets to the third lap. But guess what happens on the fourth lap? He's out of gas. And I could see on his face he wanted to quit. He wanted to give up. And I, so I decided, apparently this is against the rules, but whatever. I ran up to him, and I went right beside him. And I said, Matt, you can do it. Don't give up. Don't give up. And all of a sudden, I could see that resolve in his face. And he just ran and ran. He won the race. And then I got a talking down from the principal, but doesn't matter. He had the gold medal. Hallelujah. But how much more important in the kingdom of God? Chase, do not give up. Sydney, do not give up. Don't give up, right? No. No, you keep playing. But that's why we need community. That's why we need to meet together. That's why we're in the men's group. That's why we need accountability and transparency. Let's lay it out. Let's not have those things that hinder us and run with perseverance for the King of Kings. Oh, man, we're about done. Okay. We're going to skip a few stories. That's only going to go for the uh, second service because I'm going to go to 3 o'clock. Okay. So if you can skip to the painting there, guys. Oh, I probably said, like, have this thing on my watch. It tells me when it's, the environment's too loud. Sorry. <laughs> Did you put that on here, Arlene? <laughs> Start beeping when your time is up. But Arlene did a painting. We're in Israel, and so... There's, there's this wall there outside the old city, Jerusalem. And the Baptist pastor with us said, we believe this is where Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was. Was killed. And I'm going, wow, that's amazing. Like, the first martyr of the church. And, and I was going to do a painting of that. Like, if you know the story from the book of Acts, Stephen, he's, he's getting, they're going to throw stones at him. He's, you know, I, mean, I can't imagine what he's feeling at that time. But they start throwing rocks, and he looks up. And Jesus, who in the scriptures usually sitting at the right hand of the Father, this time the King of Kings is standing for the first martyr of the church. So that was Arlene's going to paint that. And then because she's heard me preach this so many times at the end, because I always want to give hope at the end, especially when it's all these stories of death and destruction and persecution, because this isn't how it ends. So Revelation chapter 6, it's the fifth seal. When he, Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they maintain. Actually, the word martyr in the Bible, we think of martyr as being somebody killed. Well, it's more than that. It's being a witness, dying to yourself, dying to the world, and maybe physically dying. That's why they were being persecuted. And then, so the martyrs are crying out, How long, holy and sovereign Lord, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Solomon Dawood and all the millions, the hundreds of millions of people, crying out, how long? And then the Bible says, Jesus puts a white robe on them. From every tribe and tongue and language, and I shout this loudly, there is no racism in the church of Jesus Christ. We're all created in the image of God. The white robes are put on them. And then he tells them to wait a little longer until the number of those who are to be killed was completed. And then he's coming back. Father, we just thank you for the time that we've had together today to be inspired by the word of God 
people just to be inspired by people like Alan Yuan and, and his wife Lily and Salman Dawood and his wife Hannah and all those, Lord, that have given up their lives for the king. Lord, let us be inspired by these folks. They've, they're encouraging us. They're shouting from heaven as a cloud of witnesses, don't give up. Do not give up. Stay pure. Don't ruin your marriages. Don't ruin your friendships. Stay humble. Walk in purity. Walk in holiness. Lord, we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the work of this church. Lord, continue to build this church to be a place where Jesus Christ is exalted. Let us, Lord, be the people that love and that we will be known for the love that we have for you and the love that we have for each other and the love that we have even for our enemies. Fill us again with your Holy Spirit. Let us be the people that you want us to be. And, oh, Jesus, like Solomon Dawood, we look forward to the day that we will fall on our knees. We will look at the King of Kings and we'll know that everything we've gone through was worth it. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want more information about our church, why don't you head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to connect. Until next time, take care.